Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. One of the major tropes of this pandemic has been jokes about how much we're all drinking. But for many people, drugs and alcohol are no joke. They fought to get sober, and they have no intention of letting the coronavirus take that away. One of those people is Jordan Hampton. He works as a certified peer specialist with the Archway Institute. It's a regional organization that provides resources for people struggling with substance abuse and also provides support for folks in recovery. Jordan is in long-term recovery himself. He's now 29 years old. He told our producer, Evie Hemphill, that he battled addiction from his late teens to age 25. I'm from Farmington, Missouri, raised up playing sports. Uh, split family. My parents divorced when I was young. Pretty decent upbringing. I fell in love with sports. The small town, big football town. Um, I was kind of the, well, I was our, I was the captain of the football team. So kind of had that whole little like facade thing going on, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. my mom felt slipped back into her, uh, addiction. That's my response to that was not great i didn't really it was a lot of emotional pain for me couldn't and, and football was actually like ending at the time um mm. and so once it did like the void that i filled that with because i had a few opportunities uh to use a substance just around a bunch of different people and 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 uh one of the things we talk about now is just having access and we're opportunists well that happened um and then it was kind of off to off to the races And that's Jordan Hampton. He says he moved around the country for a while as he was struggling with substance abuse. He thought if he could just get a fresh start, he could break free. And then he moved back home. Ironically enough, I ended up, uh, long story short, I ended up actually finding recovery in the hometown, in my hometown, where I I set set off. I thought I could never do it there. Well, that's where I found recovery when I came back and I... Now, a friend of mine was working at the treatment center there in, in my hometown, um, and he introduced me to this idea of, of not just being clean, but recovery and recovery housing and a recovery community. And once I, once I, I kind of got my roots planted with, in that, it, it kind of, it just took off. It felt like I was playing team sports again. And so that's, I guess, it's been kind of a wild picture book. <laughs> Almost, I sometimes think of like, you know, those little flip books uh, with your thumb and it just changes so quickly. That's, I, I feel like it's kind of been like that the last, the last few years. And if I, if you told me that this could happen, there's, I mean, I would have thought that you were delusional. That's again Jordan Hampton. And because he's found the support of a recovery community so critical, we wanted to know what's been going through his mind now that those communities are more difficult to come by. He told us how he's making it work. It was a good chance for me to kind of kind of park and uh and make sure that that I'm my side of the street is 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 cleaned up and it's it's edged and it's looking nice and it's it's feeling nice and <laughs> Uh, so I, I would say that that was a big thing for me. Um, it's just kind of going back through, you know, the scripture and my small groups and getting up at the same time for church and doing it virtually. Um, man, just kind of all of those things. And I've, uh, kept that alive and hitting some of my, uh, some of my, I go to Narcotics Anonymous and staying close to, 
some of those meetings. Um, and, uh, you know, all of the, obviously a lot of the gyms are closed, um, but it's given me a chance to run outside and, you know, kind of feel connected more to my, my, my neighborhood. Jordan Hampton's work counseling Jefferson County teens has also moved online. He told us he was initially worried about trying to connect with them virtually, but he's been pleasantly surprised by how he's still able to build a rapport as he works with some of the youngest folks in our region who are struggling with substance abuse. Our, our medical director, uh, he, he always says, like, don't let a, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and we've tried to just step in and really, you know, adapt that idea and uh, look at it, you know, kind of half class full and stay as optimistic as possible. And I think it's been, um, you know, overall, but with everyone that I've, that I've had uh, the opportunity to be able to work with through this, it seems as if, you know, we're, we're kind of just combing through our routines. It's an opportunity to, to be still you know, of, of, of course, and it's probably only happened once in a lifetime. So, you know, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a reason for this happening. Right. And so we, let's, let's kind of be still, let's recenter, let's look at our routines. Let's look at, you know, our routines up to this point, let's lay out some groundwork and let's ensure that what we are doing is a sustainable plan and a pursuit of a good quality life in recovery. And that, again, is Jordan Hampton of the Archway Institute. And joining us today with some further advice on this very important topic is Jenny Arm Brewster. She's the Deputy Executive Director for NCAD, NCADA here in St. Louis. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Well, thanks for having me. So we all heard those comments from Jordan Hampton, and he says he sees opportunity in this moment. Is that how you're feeling about it as well? Well, I think that there have been obstacles as we've transitioned many things very quickly, but but definitely there are some opportunities and some some real push to move things in, in ways that we've thought about before, but haven't always felt uh, compelled or, or the immediacy to do so. And and yet at the same time, it feels like if there ever was a time that could drive us to drink, as we all, again, like to joke about when this is not really funny, um, these are some tough times we're in. What do we know about the impact that this coronavirus crisis is having on people who struggle with things like drugs and alcohol? Well, we know when we look at risk factors and we look at even before we were dealing with the the COVID-19 crisis, we know that when people are feeling higher levels of stress, um, when they're feeling less access to other resources or healthy outlets, uh, they often are more likely to use substances. Um, And if somebody is struggling with a substance use disorder or is uh, in recovery with a substance use disorder, that risk of negative impact from use becomes even higher. And so when we add in a crisis that we're all feeling isolated and stressed for, for many reasons, whether that's coping with job loss or financial uncertainty or uh, figuring out how to manage kids at home and schooling and, and working remotely, it, it makes our plates even fuller and harder to juggle, which can lead to searching for outlets for stress. And when you're at home and you don't have some of those opportunities, it, it 
really makes things more difficult. So your work at NCADA, uh, this is an agency that deals with um, things like drug abuse and, and alcohol abuse. I imagine you guys must be busier than ever at this point. Right. So as an agency, uh, we do a lot of our work in substance use prevention and in raising awareness and educating the community. And we also offer substance use assessment and referrals and providing that information to people. So yes, we've been just as busy as ever um, in, from all aspects. Uh, we are we have been over the last couple months um, figuring out what resources are there for people. Uh, we are not a treatment provider ourselves, but we've stayed connected to our treatment partners and our recovery partners in the community and making sure that we know where are places that people can find help and, and how does that look different in today's world and uh, making sure that we, we know the information, we have the, the virtual information um, <laughs> available to folks. And then also people are still calling and people are still looking for those resources, um, both for to individually find help, but then also looking for different training opportunities and professional development and opportunities to connect in their communities and, and help even prevent the onset or use of or misuse of substances. Hmm. Have you seen an increase in, in people seeking the kind of referrals that your agency provides? We have. Um, you know, I would say I don't it's hard to measure um, because with behavioral health, you know, we often uh kind of, there, there's a lot of ebbs and flows that come as people are seeking help. Mm -hmm. And we, we've definitely maintained a steady amount of phone calls and assessments and, and people looking for resources. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it was a drastic increase, but it, but it has remained steady. And there has been more of people looking for help as they might have noticed um, concerns with a loved one hmm. or concerns with their own behavior changing. So it's not necessarily that the volume has increased um, drastically, but also just some shifts in the type of help people are looking for. If you're listening to this conversation and you feel like this applies to you in some way, we'd love to encourage you to join us here. If you've been tempted by alcohol or other substances now more than in the past during this pandemic, or if you found ways to cope with this that, that are working for you and you've kept your sobriety, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. You can also email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Jenny, you mentioned that part of your job is trying to figure out what resources are still available now that so many things have shifted online. Are there a lot of resources that are out there that people might not even realize that they have have moved to becoming virtual? Yes, I think, you know, um, I love how Jordan, you know, uh, quoted his medical director at ARCA and, and, you know, really talked about finding opportunities in this crisis. And I think that's so true. Um, there are has been a, a shift, a quick shift by a lot of hardworking people to move behavioral health and substance use services into virtual accessibility. Um, and that has allowed people to continue to receive treatment if they were already engaged in treatment, um, allow people to access treatment in ways that weren't usually or typically done before. Um, and that includes 
and that is virtual. Um, and that's phone calls or telehealth services. And it has allowed some opportunity as people can access medications hmm. through virtual means. So people that have had barriers in the past of transportation or being able to get to various locations, it actually might have increased access for many people because now they can do it from their cell phone or their computer if they have a computer. So in some ways, this this virtual world and, and the way it's shifted quickly has, has been an asset to substance use treatment. Hmm. There are also a ton of recovery resources online. When we think about recovery services and, and that that need for support and and groups, whatever that might look like for a person, whatever that person needs. Um, most recovery type groups and services have also shifted to online access. And, um, you know, anecdotally, we're hearing that participation in those continue to increase because in some ways it has become just easier. You don't have mm -hmm. to, you know, get out of your pajamas to go and you don't have to worry about maybe finding childcare if you were going to have to leave your home before. Now, you can just do it from the comfort of your couch. So there are some silver linings to all this. I got to say, that's that's great to hear. And that's great to hear that if people call and they're looking for um, for these kind of services, you guys are able to hook them up with this stuff. It's just it's, it's now happening online instead of in person. Yes. I mean, there still are, um, you know, I, I don't want to paint a picture that it's just seamless and flawless. Sure. Uh, I mean, but but there, there are still services available. It's not a it's. It's not a lost cause for people. There are still opportunities. There are still many agencies providing tremendous amounts of service. We're discussing strategies to stay sober and how all that is being impacted by the pandemic with Jenny Arm Brewster. She's the De Deputy Executive Director for NCADA. That's a local nonprofit here in St. Louis. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90 points. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs. Jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. 7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation. We're talking with Jenny Arm Brewster. She's the Deputy Executive Director of NCADA. That's a nonprofit organization that works to reduce the abuse of alcohol and drugs. And we want to encourage you to join us if you've been tempted by alcohol and have found ways to say no, or if you just think you're drinking too much and want to hit up an expert with some suggestions on how to stop doing that. You can give us a call. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Now, our producer, Evie Hemphill, had talked to Jordan Hampton. He's in long-term recovery himself. And she asked him um, if family members and loved ones have a bigger role to play right now in light of just how stuck together we are within our own households. And this was his answer. As difficult as it is, I guess, yes, right? But um, it's hard to not take some of those things personally because that looks like um, the person, my, my child is now uh, stealing from me out of my purse when I walk into the other room or they are completely defiant towards anything I say. I throw my hand, I'm about to pull my hair out, throw my hands up in the air. I don't know. I don't even know what to do. And it's, uh, it's hard to not take all those, these, and I, you know, all these things personal, right? Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> when you're, when you're sick and you spew 
you, let's just say you're physically ill and, and you, and you, and you spewed, you don't really choose where that goes. It just kind of goes all over the place. And it's kind of the same, same idea with addiction. Um, it just goes all over the place. You know, I didn't, I didn't say Evie, uh, I'm going to get sick on you. You know, it's not really that. It's just you get sick. And so if you can, as difficult as it is, if you can stay in a space, it's like, okay, I am emotionally tied to this person, but I've got to stay objective enough to find the most appropriate hand. And that's the key, right? Cause then you could, then you have the clarity to see like, okay, I need to turn to a, you know, an archway and NCADA, the recovery house, wherever. And that's kind of like, you know, that's, 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 that's how you do it because most of the time, uh, it, it's hard for you to give the, the best help possible when you're so closely invested and so closely emotionally tied to that loved one. And that again is Jordan Hampton. Jenny, there's there's such a mixed bag here. Um, on one hand, we're getting to be so much closer to family members. We might notice things that are good to notice. On the other hand, we might be afraid of bringing up a concern when we know we have to live with this person and it's going forward for the foreseeable future. What would be your advice for people who are grappling with a loved one's uh, substance abuse? I think, again, um, I, I see this as there might be some opportunity here. Maybe this was something that, you know, we had some yellow or red flags about in the past, but because life was so busy and and we didn't always have the time to address it, it kind of got pushed to the side or, mm-hmm. or excused or ignored. We're now that we're all kind of at home under this microscope with each other, mm-hmm. we're noticing those things more. And and so to have the conversations, and it doesn't have to be a confrontational, but it can just be ways that they can, we can talk and we can, we can reach out. And again, there are so many resources available, available virtually that, that used to not be as accessible. So, you know, it's not that we have to take our loved one somewhere. We might just be able to casually engage in conversation with them that, that we're concerned that, you know, we've noticed they've been using more or, or drinking more than, than we thought was healthy, or we've noticed they become irritable or sick if, if they don't have access to the substance. And, mm-hmm. and that worries us. And here, I've, I've found this great resource online. And, you know, would they be willing to sit down and look at it together? Um, in many ways, that seems much less threatening than I'm going to put you in the car and drive you somewhere and you're going to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, many people kind of will shut down at that. But but maybe if it's something that, you know, we can explore this website together, or, hey, let's log on to hear what this person is saying together. It might just be that the shift in the conversation that can lead to some help and support for the other person if they're struggling with, with some substance use. Jenny, what would you consider some of the red or even yellow flags uh, that would indicate to a person, yeah, you probably need to have this conversation. You can't just throw your hands up in the air at this point. Mm-hmm. I would say if uh, substance use has become their primary, what we call coping mechanism or, or way to handle stress. So if it's their go-to thing um, and, and we see it being used more and more, um, you know, there it's, it's difficult when we're talking about substance use because there, there are so many variables here, mm-hmm. um, whether we're talking genetics and, and other factors that, that lead to some people being able to maybe 
use a substance and then some people really struggling with a substance use disorder. So so watching for those those shifts, watching for those times when it becomes the primary way to to handle stress or the use increases. And that doesn't have to be a drastic increase, but it can be incremental and and happen over time. Um, also really watching for those withdrawal symptoms. If people mm-hmm. seem to be, uh, again, kind of having some symptoms or feeling sick or more irritable when they don't have the substance, that's often a sign that their their body's definitely developing a dependence on the substance. Hmm. Um, also, just, just using even when there might be decisions not to use. Oh, we're not going to drink tonight or, oh, I'm not going to use um, during this time period. And then the person is is still using. Um, that's really not being able to maintain those boundaries that a person sets for themselves can be some of those signs um, of, of use. And and as that increases and as there just is change in the in the relationship, maybe they're they're functioning at work or or um, kind of obtaining or seeking employment, whatever that looks like for people right now. If that is impacted by substances, that those are those are definite yellow or red flags, depending on the severity that that warrant a conversation and and closer attention. That's really good to know. I actually want to go to the phone lines. That we have a caller that has a question that I think is is very on point for this um, issue of families worrying about somebody within their circle. Uh, let's go to mm-hmm. Eric calling from University City. Eric, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, I wanted to see if you have a, a program to treat, really treat families. Uh, we did a program like that in the 70s. It seemed very helpful, at least supportive for the families, so they weren't enabling the individual any more than they already were, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you could tell us you have those kind of programs. Eric, that's a great question. Jenny, anything that comes to mind that specifically um, is targeting families, not necessarily the person who's who's abusing the substance? Yes, um, there are many family support programs out. Most treatment facilities, uh, whether we're talking about local treatment operations or or other ones that exist outside the St. Louis region, have that family component. Um, you know, NCADA, our organization, we are not a treatment facility. We do offer some early intervention programs. And so we're talking about younger people um, who might be initially struggling with some substance use and a parent component or a family component is part of that as well, where we offer education and support for family members. Our counselors, when they are talking with people, our, our phone calls consist largely of people who are calling because they're concerned about a spouse, a loved one, a child, a parent. Um, and, and our first suggestion is what are they doing for themselves? Not for, not necessarily even just what are they doing for their loved one that might be struggling. So there are hmm. virtual support groups um, that, that address families. Um, there are virtual and um, previously in-person efforts that, that really it, it the person that is the caretaker or the helper for the person that might be struggling, they need to also first and foremost make sure they're taking care of themselves. Hmm. That's some great advice. And, and that was a great question, Eric. Thank you for that. We also heard from Maggie. She sent us an email and she writes, I've been sober now six years, no alcohol, self-love and self-esteem. I will always be my closest friend and be there to comfort myself. Treat yourself like a good friend. Uh, is that is that advice there that you would uh, second? Is, is Maggie barking up the right tree with that, Jenny? 
Definitely. I think when we're thinking about substance use, um, even as Jordan described his journey that we heard from him over over the last uh, half hour or so, is is there has to be a lot of self-reflection. Um, this is a disorder. Substance use disease uh, tells a person that they don't have a problem, that you know, the, the substance will take care of it. And so it takes a lot of that self-love and finding satisfaction and growth and and outlets that, that make a person happy and that, that really fill that void and that need for themselves. Um, we know that there is such a connection with substance use disorder and other mental health disorders. And and it's all about treating the whole person and making sure all of those things are, are being addressed. Mm-hmm. Now, our producer, Evie Hempel, she also spoke to Colton Baker. He's one of the people whom Jordan Hampton credits with helping Jordan on his road to recovery. Colton is a lead recovery coach for a few organizations in the region. He's in long-term recovery himself from opioids and other substance abuse since 2014. And Colton told us that he does have some real concerns about people being able to access the accountability they need in recovery. Um, Here's what he said about feeling fortunate to have a strong support system right now himself. It's times like these where, you know, individuals in long-term recovery can lean on those supports. It's, It's typically the individuals who are new to recovery that I worry most about just because they don't have the cemented social support networks that they need at that time. So that's usually my largest concern. Jenny, is that also a concern for you that this is the hardest on people who are brand new? Definitely. I think that isolation point, um, you know, even when we feel more stressed as we're isolated for people that are already struggling and now finding themselves in isolation, that increases risk dramatically. So we talked about all the silver linings and the good things or the opportunities that might be coming from this. But there are there are still real concerns and and we still have to make sure that that we're connecting with people. So even if it's not in our own home, if it's a friend or a family member that we're not in interacting with on a daily basis. Um, Being able to reach out, maybe offer a phone call, offer to FaceTime or Zoom with them um, can be helpful too. And and I I think the work that Colton and other other certified peer specialists are doing to help those who are are newly into their recovery journey is is very important to staying connected. I want to go back to the phone lines. We have time for just one more phone call. Uh, Lisa is calling from Baldwin. Lisa, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my name is Lisa, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm also a grateful member of Al-Anon. Mm. I've been sober for 12 years. And Congratulations. Hey, thank you. Um, it's really, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's a wonderful life. I really uh, never would have imagined that I could do this, and I have managed to do it because I've had a lot of support, and I wanted to say that Al-Anon is really good for anyone who has an alcoholic or an addict, and it's about you and about getting serene with your own self, whether or not that person, your alcoholic or addict is still drinking or using. Um, regarding AA, please check out AASTL. Um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is self-supporting through its own contribution, as is Al-Anon, which means it's essentially free. You give Hmm. what you can or nothing at all. And we are 
willing and helpful and really um, encourage newcomers to come. And I know now it's different because we have Zoom meetings rather mm-hmm. than in person, but there are some meetings resuming. And if you check the central services here, AASTL, um, you can find um, meetings and, and we would be really happy to have some newcomers. Um, it's changed my life. I am also, I, I lost my daughter to um, the disease of um, addiction five years ago. And I just want to say it's a hard thing to go through, but I have been able to stay sober even well, Lisa, after that that's five a, years. Hmm. Yeah, it, that's, that's remarkable. And I don't wish it on anyone, but I can tell you that Al-Anon is responsible for my recovery and my strength and my serenity and and Lisa, thank you so much for that. I know that's one of the hardest things anyone can deal with in life. And, and the fact that you've kept your sobriety is remarkable. So that resource that Lisa mentioned, that's AASTL.com. It's a great place to go to get more information about going to a meeting. Um, and Al-Anon, she also touts there, too. So um, that's just great to end, I guess, on a success story there. So Jenny Armbruster, any last thoughts you'd want to leave our listeners with on this on this topic today? No, thank you, Lisa, for sharing. I think that it's just important for people to stay aware and familiar with resources. Lisa shared a great one. We have a list of uh, more resources and virtual resources at NCADA's website, ncada-stl.org. All right. And Jenny, again, is joining us from NCADA, where she's the Deputy Executive Director. Jenny, thank you so much for that. It was great having you here today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.